You know, the reason for everything in this life is to bring glory to God. Think about it. Absolutely everything we do ought to bring God glory. Whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And we're going to glorify God in heaven forever and ever and ever. Why don't we start now? With the life we're living now. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles and turn back to the Old Testament book of Isaiah 42, where we were earlier today. Same outline, but would like to build upon what I mentioned. As we enter into a a special time of the year, I'd like to, I guess, bring a little series on the person of God, the character of God, and and the awe, and the mystery, and the wonder of the one we call God. And we talked earlier today about His glory, and I'd like to continue with that thought. And so in Isaiah 42, we begin in verse 5, Thus saith God the Lord, He that created the heavens and stretch them out. He that spread forth the earth, and that which cometh out of it. He that giveth breath unto the people upon it, and spirit to them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thine hand, and keep thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. We're going to talk again about this theme, that is to God alone be the glory. But let's pray first, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we thank You now for that which You've taught us from Your Word, this truth on Your glory. Help us now to get it down into our hearts. Help us to put it to practice. May it change us in our view of Thee. We pray and ask all this now in Jesus' name, amen. Many years ago, there was a mother holding her two-year-old child and little girl, tender moment, all that, and uh, it was just bursting out of her heart, so mom had to say it. She said, oh, oh, I just love you so much. Child never looked up from the toy it was playing with and simply said, yeah, I know. We would call that love taken for granted, wouldn't we? And it's sad. But sadder yet, perhaps, is God's glory that is taken for granted. People don't realize who they're dealing with when they're dealing with God. Our perspective of God really covers everything we think about life, the universe, God, of course, and His character, and everything in general. It colors absolutely everything. There was a song written many years ago by a fellow by the name of Smith, Walter Smith, called Immortal Invisible. And I was thinking about the lyrics of it this last week. Let me just read it to you. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light and accessible, hid from our eyes, most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise, unresting, unhasting, and silent as light, nor wanting, nor wasting, Thou rulest in might. Thy justice like mountains 
high soaring above. Thy clouds, which are fountains of goodness and love. To all life thou givest, to both great and small. In all life thou livest, the true life of all. We blossom and flourish as leaves on the tree, and wither and perish, but not changeth thee. Great Father of glory, pure Father of light, thine angels adore thee, all veiling their sight. O Lord, we would render, O help us to see, tis only the splendor of light hideth thee. God lives in another realm, another dimension. And really, these bodies, these eyes, this light, if you will, is all that hides Him. Immortal, invisible, God only wise. We look at our text here in Isaiah 42, and it begins by saying in verse 5, Thus saith God the Lord. He uses two of His names there, Elohim, Jehovah. God the Lord, He that stretcheth or created the heavens and stretched them out, He that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, in other, other words, everything that grows from the earth, and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth bread unto the people upon it, that's us, I like this, and spirit to them that walk therein. The very breath we breathe comes from God. Verse 6, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thine hand, and I love that part, and will keep thee, and I love that part, and give thee for a covenant to the people for a light of the Gentiles. Now it kind of shifts gears, and I think you're going to recognize some of the wording in verse 7 as relating to the Lord Jesus Christ. To open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, that's speaking of salvation, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. What a picture of life before salvation. A prison house. Isn't this the truth? And then he ends it in verse 8 by saying, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, and may I add, nor should he. He is worthy of it all. We need to just let it soak in. We need to let that word glory just soak in. It all hinges in this passage, I think, on that word glory. And so, to God alone be the glory. Let's look at this glory. First of all, the definition of it. We have a triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, was trying to explain it to somebody this last week, and it's really indescribable. I've tried many times to wrap my arms and my mind and my heart around it, but we just can't. But He is one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and to Him be the glory. We sing these songs about His glory. To God be the glory. Angels from the realms of what? Glory. Glory to His name. We sing, in the cross of Christ I glory. We sing... King of glory, risen Savior. We sing, see our Lord in all His glory. God help us to. He's not our buddy. He's, he's not our pal. He's not our chum. In fact, the contemporary movement kind of lowers Him. And so many lack the sense to really see Him in His glory. So what is this glory? Well, it's, it's indefinable. The word glory is mentioned 380 times in our Bible. And, and I could try and describe it, but it would be but a token. But, but glory means to be exalted. It means to honor. It means to praise. Glory means to be admired. It's someone who is renowned. Certainly that described God. It is majesty. and In fact, it's the Greek word doxa. We get our word the doxology from that. 
God is glorious in His very nature. Without doing a thing, He's glorious, just in His being, in His essence. And we could talk about His attributes. He's also glorious in His actions, the things that He does. And we've talked about them a little bit already. He's glorious in His blessings. Boy, we take those for granted. And He's glory in getting honor due to Him, never to be attributed to man. God, help us not to steal His glory. So we see the definition of glory. But secondly, we see the, the direction of glory. And obviously, it's, it's a vertical thing. All glory is due to Him. The Bible is clear on that. And we've seen that already. He's worthy of all the glory by virtue of His creation. We talked about that earlier today. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. The very creation... We, he, we see him blinking and, and rain falls and coughing and mountains quake and he claps his hands and the, the thunder is deafening. It ought to drop us to our knees. It ought to cause us occasionally at least to go outside and reflect upon his creation. It's, it's glorious. I told an illustration in my, my 930 basic class here a few weeks ago. We were talking about Teddy Roosevelt and a friend that he had for many years, William Beebe, who was, was an outdoorsman. Both of them were outdoorsmen, and Beebe himself being quite a, uh, an explorer, going into jungles and even in, in the bathosphere, being the first one to go down to the bottom of the ocean. And quite often, Beebe would visit Roosevelt in Sagamore Hills, and after dinner, before they'd retire, they'd go outside, and they'd look up at the, the starry night, and one of them would say, there's the Andromeda galaxy. It's as large as our Milky Way. And the other would say, yeah, and it's one of 100 million galaxies out there. It's 750,000 light years away. It contains 100 billion stars all larger than our sun and and they'd go back and forth, and finally one would say, you know what, I think we're small enough now. I think we're small enough now. Put in their place, really, by a limitless universe. God is glorious in His creation. God is, secondly, glorious in His incarnation. And that word simply means He put on flesh. Imagine that. No single event in the history of mankind has, has ever eclipsed the fact that God put on flesh to come to this earth. It's an amazing thing to me. He, he laid aside His robes of glory and he, he came down in obedience to be born as a, a babe in a, a, stage, a stable in, in Bethlehem. That word obedience, by the way, is, is really the key thing. Everything Jesus Christ did, He did in obedience. And He taught us to be obedient because that brings glory to God. In John 12, 28, he said, Father, glorify thy name. And then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. I'd have loved to have been there that day. I'd have loved to hear, hear, hear that. But, but Jesus Christ said, Father, glorify your name through me. And, and the Father thundered from heaven. He said, I have both glorified it and I will glorify it again. But it all started with, with His incarnation and, and the angels proclaimed glory to God in the highest when He came to this earth. And the shepherds stood in awe. He glorified God in His birth. He glorified God in His death. When He died on the cross, the Bible tells us there's this incredible earthquake and, and, and the graves of, of those who were down in the Kidron Valley, they sprung open and the dead walked around. Imagine what a sight that was. And there was a centurion, there was a, a Roman soldier there that day. And Luke twenty three forty seven says, Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly, this was a righteous man. The Lord Jesus Christ in His incarnation glorified the Father in His birth, 
And in his death, turn if you would to Matthew chapter 16, the Lord Jesus Christ will also glorify his heavenly Father when he comes back again. His return will be glorious and bring him and the Father glory. In Matthew 16, notice with me if you would, verse number 27, Jesus is talking and he says, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Oh, that's going to be a glorious sight. He will come in the glory of his Father. Look, if you would, in Matthew chapter 24. And we see another verse with the Lord Jesus Christ talking about this glorious event known as the second coming of Christ. And in Matthew chapter 24 and in verse number 30, he says, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So he's coming back again. He was glorious in his incarnation. He was glorious in his death. He is going to be glorious in his return. And while we wait for that return, guess what? What are we to do? We're to glorify him. We are to glorify him. Think about this. We're alive right now. But the Davids and the Moses and the Elijahs and those who have have lived in various times are gone. They're not alive right now. So this is our turn. Here we are in the 21st century. God is looking for us to glorify Him. That's the reason we assemble like this, by the way. I was talking to somebody this last week who has gotten into the habit of live streaming. And I said, well, you know, that's well and fine. But that's not assembling. And the Bible says in Hebrews 10.25, we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And let me warn all of us, or if you're live streaming right now, don't become a live stream Christian. Because that is for shut-ins and invalids. But if you can be here, if you're not providentially hindered, there's something about assembling like this that glorifies God. We are to glorify Him. Here in this place of worship, the Fargo Baptist Church was built as a house of worship. And we assemble here to worship Him. By the way, we built this ourselves to bring Him glory. It's, it's beautiful on purpose because we want to give Him glory. By the way, I, I dress up to preach the gospel, and I don't do that for you. Did you know that? don't want to hurt your feelings. But I do that to, to, to worship Him, to, to try and bring glory to Him. There's something about coming like this and the preaching of His Word and the assembling of ourselves together that brings Him glory. There's something about the place of assembly and the house of worship. I've read many times where Solomon built that glorious temple back there in, in the Old Testament. And when they had the dedication for it, we read in 1 Kings 8 and verse 10, When the priests were come out of the holy place, the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Boy, I'd love to have been there too. A lot of things in the Bible I'd love to have been there. But this is one on dedication day when they dedicated this glorious temple after years of construction. The, the glory of God filled it in the the cloud, the smoke was so thick, the priest came running out. By the way, next uh, weekend marks the 10th anniversary of the dedication of this building, this sanctuary. Can you believe that? It's actually been 10 years. And I, I've thought many times as I've stood in here alone with, with nobody else around, what God hath wrought, what God hath wrought. I was reading this last week about Samuel Morris, who actually coined that expression and and he, he, of course, invented the, the telegraph and the Morse codes named after him. 
But somebody was asking him if there were ever times as he was inventing things over at the university when he, when he hit a, a, a brick wall, when he got stumped and he just didn't know what to do next. And he said, oh, many times. And the guy said, well, what would you do then? He said, well, I did something pretty unorthodox, something most wouldn't do. He said, but, but I prayed and I asked God to give me light, to show me what to do, to direct me in the next step. And he said, without fail, God came through time and time again. And he said, the accolades and the awards I've received in America and over in Europe, he said, really, I, I need to deflect them because it wasn't me. He said, God wanted to get something to mankind and He just chose me to be the vessel to send it through at this time in history and in these inventions. He said, but I give God all the glory. And by the way, when He invented the, uh, the, the telegraph, He said that, what hath God wrought? Reminds me of what's written uh, around the, uh, the dome of, of the Capitol building. It's been there since uh, the Civil War closed. Edwin Stanton had it put up there. And it's quoting Psalm 118.23, This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Give God the credit. Give God the glory. All the glories to go to God. Never man. God help us to never make that mistake. God chooses to work through men, but we are not to take the credit for that. It's simply credit due Him because it comes from Him and it goes back to Him. We read in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God's glory is like a, a boomerang. It begins with Him and it ends with Him. We're to reflect basically Him. You know, God is like the sun. We're like the moon. The moon has no light of its own. It simply reflects the light of the sun. And in that same way, we are to reflect God. We are to deflect credit. That's what Jesus Christ did, by the way. Now think about all that Christ did when He walked this earth. How He went around, He, he healed people. And yet somehow God got the glory for all that. We read in Matthew 15:31, And so much that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to be whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see, and they glorified Jesus Christ? No. Somehow they glorified the God of Israel. I can picture the Lord just saying, give Him the praise. Pointing to heaven and saying, praise God, give God the glory. We read in John chapter 7, verse 18, Jesus said, He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true. And he's talking about himself here. He said, I'm, I'm not seeking my own glory. I'm seeking the glory of him that sent me. He deflected that glory. He def deflected that credit. What an example he was to us. By the way, somebody said, and so well said, that it would be amazing what we as a New Testament church could accomplish if nobody cared who got the glory. <laughs> Isn't that good? Isn't that the truth? Deflect that glory back to God. Because throughout all eternity, that's the direction that the glory is going to take. We read in Revelation 19, 1, a heavenly scene. John says, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. Imagine that over and over and over again in heaven. There's going to be glory sent toward our King. And so we see the direction of glory. But thirdly, let's talk again about the danger of glory. The danger of, of glory is us taking it, taking the credit. May I share this poem with you here? To God be all the glory, 
Oh, that we fools could see that every ounce of glory, O Lord, belongs to Thee. We must not share in any way the awe or praise of men. Whatever way we keep that praise, beloved, turns to sin. Steal God's glory, O Lord, may we shout it never, for the glory belongs to God alone forever and ever and ever. There is a tremendous danger in self-exaltation. May we all examine ourselves. Look, if you would, in Deuteronomy chapter 8. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, we find the children of Israel, just before they're going into the promised land, getting some coaching, if you will, from God one more time through the prophet Moses. And after 40 years of wandering through the wilderness, they're rehearsing what's going to happen and the danger of what could happen. We pick it up in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 10. It says, When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought forth uh, water out of the rock of Flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee, to do thee good at thy latter end. And thou say in thine heart, My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is He that giveth thee power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant which He sware unto thy fathers as it is this day. And it shall be if thou do not at all forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroyeth before your face, so shall ye perish because you would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. There is a stern, there is a solemn warning here for them and all of us in the 21st century. Don't forget God. You know, they did eventually. We know that. And they got, they got uh, fat and sassy as the expression goes and, and things were going their way and, and they were successful and they were prosperous. There's a danger for every 21st century Christian, even in this area especially, to forget God when He blesses us. God help us to stay humble. That's the warning in this passage here. May we stay humble. God works through weakness. There are examples of that in the Bible. You know, God looked at a Gideon who knew he didn't have anything going for him and said, I have a great task for you. And, and Gideon said, me, there must be some mistake. And he tried to weasel out of it. God did the same with Moses because they were meek and they were weak and they knew it. But you take the likes of King Saul, when he lost that humility, he was done. You take the likes of Samson, who really never had that humility, and what a mess he made. When we work independent of God, we're done. God cannot use us anymore. Many years ago, there were two preachers over in London, and I know one of them was named Spurgeon, and I don't know the name of the other one. 
But there was a real difference. They were both great preachers. But many times when, when the other preacher would get done preaching, the people would say, oh, what a sermon. When Spurgeon would get done preaching, they would say, oh, what a Savior. You get the difference? Oh, that we would say, what a Savior. What a Savior. Now, none of us are immune to that, that subtle thing called self-exaltation. We all have this, this thing within us that can make us proud. Proud of, of our knowledge. Proud of uh, the, 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 the Scripture memorization we've done. Proud of the people that we've led to the Lord. Proud of our spirituality. Boy, that's a foolish pride. We can get even proud of our church. There is a real danger. I call it the, the successful church syndrome. There's a real danger when, when a church becomes, quote, successful. God's not impressed with our success. May I remind us all of that. God's not impressed with our numbers, our Sunday school attendance, our offerings, our Bible college numbers. God is not impressed with our buildings and our programs. God's not impressed with our pastor. Sorry. He's not impressed with our staff. He's not impressed with our music. He, watch the appearance. Watch the arrogance. God's not impressed with any of that. God needs the glory. And that's what we ought to be here to do. God, watch our arrogance, by the way. I had somebody several months ago say, you born-again Christians are so arrogant. I never really thought of that. I mean, I really sat down and thought about that. The way they perceive us, the way we come across to them, it can be perceived as arrogance. The, the conceit of being right. Huh. Wow, what a novel thought. The conceit of having the truth. God help us to watch that. We become smug. Christian arrogance. We ought to be humble people. We are the vilest of sinners saved by grace. Plain and simple. Paul the Apostle called himself the chiefest of sinners. Where does that leave us? You might know Pastor Skeving, but you really don't know me the way I know myself. We are vile. Oh, wretched man that I am. God, give us the grace to glorify Him for our own salvation. Plain and simple. The fact He took us the vilest of sinners and saved us. We read in 1 Corinthians 6.20, For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In other words, with everything we've got, glorify God. I'm telling you, if we don't, we rob God of His rightful praise. The praise do His name. We also, secondly, rob ourselves of eternal reward. Now, we are going to be rewarded for our service down here, but if we glorify self in this life, forget it. God has promised us a hundredfold in the life to come, but if we seek the credit now, forget it. You know, Jesus or somebody, I can't remember, I think it was Christ who said, Verily, you have your reward. So don't squander it now. You can get so much later on. But when we glorify self, we rob ourselves of an, of an eternal reward. Thirdly, we rob others of the vision of God that they ought to have, of His greatness. When we're taking the credit, they're not going to see God as great. Paul put it this way in 1 Thessalonians 2.6. He said, Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others. He was so cautious, so careful to be sure that all the praise was deflected back toward God. How serious is this that God gets the glory? We read in Acts chapter 12 of an of a incident that took place back in the early days of the church where Herod took James and he had him beheaded. 
And he was feeling his oats, and, and so he brought Peter in. Let's go for the big dog now. And he had him in prison, but God sent an angel to get Peter out of that prison. And when Herod found out that Peter had escaped, he examined the keepers, and he he'd commanded that they be put to death. I mean, just so flippantly, just so callously going, put them to death. And he heads off to another town, and, and there he's, he's making this speech, and we read in Acts 12, verse 22, that the people gave a shout saying, it is the voice of a God, not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory and he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. By the way, this is recorded historically. This is a historical fact. This is how he died. But history doesn't tell why he died. We know, the Bible gives us the insight. Bottom line, he gave not God the glory. How serious is this? Give God the glory. They asked the wife of Thomas Edison, where does your husband get all his ideas? Have you ever asked him? She said, well, yeah, one time. He didn't say a word. He just smiled and, and he pointed up. He gave God the glory. That's where he got his ideas. Now, one day, one day we're going to pass off the scene and God's going to press on without us. So what direction should the glory go to him? We see the definition. We see the direction. We see the danger. Finally, let's talk about the display, the display of glory. Look, if you would, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The display of glory. Don't glorify your church. Don't glorify your Sunday school. Don't glorify your teacher. Don't glorify your preacher. Don't glorify the offerings. Don't glorify the attendance reports. Where should we give the glory? How should we display this glory? In 2 Corinthians 10, notice verse number 17. It says, But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. But he that glorieth, he that brags, he that, that has some credit to, to give or take, let him give it to God, all to God. Kneel before him. He is worthy of all the glory. Reminds me of a story of a parliament member over in, in Britain many years ago by the name of Neil Martin. And Neil Martin was given this tour of the parliament to these clergymen, a group of men who were in the ministry. And he was walking down the hall showing them things, and all of a sudden this, this uh, dignitary, Lord um, Hysham, goes by in all his, his royal robes there. And, and, and he knew Neil Mert, uh, Martin, and, and he, all he said is he cried out and he said, Neil! And the clergymen dropped to their knees immediately. <laughs> they had been taught to have that kind of reverence. Neil! Neil, you know, the reason for everything in this life is to bring glory to God. Think about it. Absolutely everything we do ought to bring God glory. You know what the original intent of music was? To bring God glory. Where does that put 90 plus percent of the music in the world today? It's, it's gibberish. It really is. In fact, it was one of the great maestros who said that. He said all music ought to be written to glorify God and everything else is gibberish. I was with family recently during the holiday and, and uh, the, the football game was on TV. The sound was turned down. We were actually uh, eating our, our meal there and, and I was watching what was going on. It was halftime of the, the game. I think the Detroit was playing somebody and there was some rock star playing during, during halftime. And, and with the sound down, you can't believe how how funny it looks. I hate to say that, but how silly it really looks. 
to see 70,000 people jamming a stadium and, and, and gyrating all over the place. And I thought to myself, is God getting any glory out of that? I mean, just stop and consider all the things that are done in society and God gets no glory from it. Because everything we do is supposed to be done for His glory. And, 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 and gyrating around looking like you're possessed in a stadium with 70,000 other people is not bringing God glory. It sure gives you cause to rethink a whole lot of things. Is our job glorifying God? Is our entertainment glorifying God? Is our income glorifying God? Is everything we do glorifying God? Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. That challenges me. Whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's the reason God saved me. That's the reason God saved you. Look, if you would, in 2 Corinthians, as long as you're so close, turn back to chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Notice with me, if you would, in verses 5 and 6, it says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's describing a person getting saved here. In the same way that uh, he called light out of darkness, he put light into our soul and he make the, made the gospel a revelation so we could understand it and so that we could embrace it and we could receive it. Have you received it? Have you been saved the Bible way? Have you had a time in your life when you called upon the Lord and he changed you from the inside out, the light shone in? And you saw the glory of God. I hope you have. Now, after salvation, we are told by the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 5.16 to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We are to glorify God by our living afterwards. By godly living. There's so much carnality in the day and age in which we're living in. And, and God is not glorified by trashy TV. And boy, there's a lot of it out there. God's not glorified by so many websites. God is, is not glorified by so many video games and so much music again. And, and, and the movies and the, the trashy talk and the, the, uh, the talk radio and the talk TV and, and, and the activity. All this stuff, I'm not condemning at all, but I'm saying so much of it doesn't glorify the Lord. We were made to soar above that junk, beloved. Plain and simple. We were made to live above that. And we're going to glorify God in heaven forever and ever and ever. Why don't we start now? With the life we're living now. I mean, let's, let's practice, if you will. And look back a page in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's practice a little bit for heaven. Notice verse 18, the way this is worded in 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, But we all, with open face... Beholding, as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. There's a whole lot of preaching in that. Could be talking about the transformation of going from lost to saved or, or from saved and, and uh, not sanctified to uh, losing a lot of the carnality we possess. It could be talking about transferring from the glory of salvation here to the glory of, of heaven one day. But the bottom line is, we're going to glorify God in heaven forever. We ought to now. So we, we glorify the Lord with proper living, godly living. Secondly, with a proper reverence for Him. 
Psalm 22.23 says, Ye that fear the Lord, praise Him, glorify Him, and fear Him. Boy, that really sums up the Christian life. Fear Him, praise Him, and glorify Him. We glorify the Lord with godly living. We glorify the Lord with a proper reverence for Him. By the way, did you know that we glorify the Lord through unity in the church? It glorifies God when we're on the same page as a a church body, as a church family. May I give you a verse? Romans 15.6 says that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's talking about unity here. It's talking about pulling on the same end of the rope with one mind and with one mouth and being on the same page. And where there's dissension in a church like this, when there are those who are, 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 are gossiping and undermining and, and causing division, God gets no glory out of that. God help us not to sportitude. And God help us not to cause dissension because He gets no glory from that. Well, finally, we should glorify the Lord through our walk and our witness. And by that I mean how we reach out to other people. How we walk the walk before Him. Not just talk the talk and how we witness before them. At work, by the way, we witness at home too, amongst our family. The way we walk and witness at work and at home, in our neighborhood, amongst our relatives, we bring glory to God through it all. Now, earlier today I asked the question, why should God get all that glory? I mean, why should God hog hog all that glory? Well, by virtue of creation, He deserves it. By virtue of ownership, He owns it all. By virtue of salvation, He loved us enough to to bleed and die on a cross for us by the virtue of the fact He does love us and has provided for us everything we need, including the very breath we're breathing right now. He deserves that glory. I again conclude with this verse because it's so powerful. 1 Chronicles 29.11 says, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine thine is the kingdom O Lord and thou art exalted as head above all to God alone be the glory you've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota if you would like a CD of today's message you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.